Revelation chapter 13, and this is what we read in verse 1. Revelation 13 verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who could fight against it? The beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was, it was allowed to make war on the saints to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth who will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the, same, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Did you hear that? This is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then he goes on and he says, I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. And his number? Six, six, six. Let's pray together. Father, we pray for wisdom. You said this takes wisdom. And so we pray for it as we open your word. We're yielded and still and asking that you speak through your word. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Finally. Right? I mean, our trek through the book of Revelation so far 
You know, you've been tracking along this, and we get through this section, we get through that opening section of Christ, the section of the churches, and then, then, you know, it's like, okay, now we're getting to the good stuff, right? We get to four and five and the great scenes in heaven, and then, man, we really get to the good stuff because chapter six, the seals, seals start popping. Yeah, there we go. So we, we, we make our way through that, and we get to the break of seven. Then we get to the trumpets. Here we go, man. We're getting into it, right? Trumpets start blaring. We get to another break, and then all of a sudden we're in a break again, chapter 12, 13, 14. But finally, man, we're here, 666. That's the whole reason you've been hanging in with me in the book of Revelation all these months is because you want to know who is the Antichrist. Right? I mean, that's the reason why you study it. That's the reason why we read the books. That's the reason why we tune in to, you know, and see those the ones who come along and say, we got it, we know who it is. When I was teaching in Kentucky, I was the teacher that the students could come and ask anything. And my classes were structured that way. We had what we would do and we, we would go. And, but they knew they could raise their hand and they could ask anything. I had the conviction that they had a lot of questions and nobody was answering their questions. A lot of them were in youth groups, but it was all about entertainment, eating pizzas and having fun. Nobody was answering the deep questions. And they couldn't go to their parents with some of these things. And they came to me with some of the most incredible questions that you could imagine. There was a friend of mine. We coached baseball there together. And uh, one of the students had raised their hand in class one day, had asked a question about a sexual practice that had been going on that the girls had been told that if they do this, they could keep their sexual purity. And so as this question is being asked about what do I think, is that right, I'm trying to formulate an answer. There's a knock on the door, and I look through the window, and it was Coach Barlow. And so I just walk over to the door, open the door, he steps in, and I said, he's got this one, and I stepped out in the hall. He had no idea what was about to be asked. And so he steps up, great guy, steps up and says, yeah, I got this, what is it? They ask the question, he turns around, walks out of the hall red-faced and says, don't you ever do that to me again. So I stepped into the class. One of the questions that would always come up is this. I mean, we get into these discussions. They knew, they, and I knew this was a game with them because they knew, ah, oh, we're tired of this subject. Let's raise our hand, get him off track. And I played the game. But there were times when I said, uh-uh, not, not, we're not going there. We've got to get this done. So one of the things that would always come up, and it was at this particular time. I don't know why, but this was on their minds. It's interesting how what's on their minds, what's on the minds of these kids. It's interesting. And it changes. Over the years, it's changed. Well, one of the things they were really concerned about at the time was the Antichrist. And I got this question all the time. And a hand would go up and they would say, of this one particular class, really bright class, great. They, they just, boy, they got it. And we had a lot of fun together. And uh, one of the girls raised her hand and said, Mr. Earnhardt. And I said, yeah. Who is the Antichrist? And so I like to have fun with them. And there was a student in there who was, who was a kind of a cut up. And his name was John Michael. And I said, John Michael's the Antichrist. Oh, <gasps> oh. I said, yeah, so this is what I did. I got on the whiteboard, I wrote his name, his first, middle, and last name. And I played a little game called Gematria. Lord willing, we'll get to this. We're only dealing with the first beast this week. Lord willing, we'll get to it next week with understanding 666. And it's where you take letters of an alphabet. They didn't have numbers in the ancient world, and so this is the way they did. This is the way they figured numbers. So 
and, 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 and I would take A was one, B was two, C was three. So I wrote his name out and I started playing with the numbers and I started adding numerical value to the numbers. And just so happened that his name failed. I only had to go a couple of lines and I summed it all up. And you know what it said at the bottom? Six, six, six. And for a moment, they just sat there. And then they look at him and John Michael's got, all of a sudden he says, I'm not the Antichrist. I said, you're right, he's not. And I pointed to another student and I said, they are. And so I wrote their name. I did the same trick. Now, I had to do a little more work. And so after a while, they were all like raising their hands. Show me, do me, do me. I want to be the Antichrist. So I spent the rest of the class. And then, you know, through that, we, we had a serious discussion about evil and the Antichrist and things like that. But you see, it's, they, they're just fascinated with that. My point to them was, you know what, you know, you, you buy into all these ideas and theories about these people who say they've got the key, they know who it is, and they know this, and they know that. Run from that. I'm just going to tell you up front, there's a lot about this I don't know. There's a lot about the symbolism that's here that I don't know. I have some ideas about how this fits together. And particularly when we look at chapter 12. Because 12, 13, and 14 go together. This is the theological heart of the book of Revelation. And they go together and you can't separate them. Now we walked through 12 last week. The red dragon, the woman going after Christ, he couldn't kill Christ, he couldn't get him. So what does he do? The woman there, I think, representing the ideal people of God, Old Testament and New Testament, and he couldn't get her, and so what does he do? He goes after her offspring. He goes after her offspring. Well, how does he do it? I mean, that's sort of the why is this mess, and why do we see all the mess? That's it's because the devil, Satan's angry. His time is short. He's angry. He's pursuing us. So how does he do it? Well, I'm going to tell you. He gets by with a little help from his friends. And 13 shows us, John begins to show us how he accomplishes this. You remember how 12 ended? How chapter 12 ended where it says, and he stood on the sand of the sea. And I, I told you, the King James says I, as if John's standing on the sand of the sea. I don't think that's the best way to take it. Satan is pictured as standing on the sand and the sea. And it's as if he's standing there thinking, hmm, what do I do now? And what does he do? He calls forth two friends. And these are evil. These are evil. So what about the Antichrist? I need to say a couple of things here to start because I need to lay some... And I'm going to mention these briefly. I'm not going to go into them in detail, but I need, because we need to understand some, some, some key points up front. I have talked a lot about the Christian view, worldview of history. History has a beginning and end, the central watershed events, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. There is a beginning, there is an end. God's working His purpose and plan. It's not spiraling out of you know, control and we don't know where it's going. God has a plan, He has a purpose in that. There was a fall. After God created everything perfect, there was a fall, there was the entrance of sin, there was the entrance of evil, there was the entrance of death. We see this in Revelation 12, right? This war. There's also redemption. Because a fall without redemption, we're just hopeless. We, we have no reason 
we just might as well eat, drink, and be merry, right? Because if all there is to life is this, but there's redemption. There is, we see, the redeeming of God beginning to the story of redemption in the Old Testament, all the way pointing to Christ, the Old Testament pointing to Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection, and redemption in Christ alone. We also need to understand that towards the end, this is what I think, there are a lot of godly people who see it a little different, but this is what I, and I think it's what we've seen in the unfolding so far, at least our approach to the book of Revelation has been this, as we get towards the end, things are going to get worse. We, we see a lot of this stuff in history. We see a lot of this stuff. If your eyes are open right now, you're seeing a lot of it right now. But as we get closer to the end, it's going to intensify. And it's going to get worse. And it's going to be worldwide. It's going to be worldwide. In the end, there will be a concentration of evil... In the person of the Antichrist. This was the question they would always ask as we deal with it. Is he alive now? And I would say, yeah. Oh, who is he? Who is he? I would say, yeah, he's alive now. He's alive and well right now. And I would take him to to 1 John. We'll look at that in just a second. But I would also say, but he's coming. He's coming. Now, the one, I don't know if he's alive now or not, but I know towards the end there will be a concentration, sort of a culmination of all of the evil and of all the beasts that have been on the earth up to that point. It will be concentrated and culminate, I think, in one person who is called the Antichrist. Okay? So I need to say that up front. But we also need to understand the war's already been won. The war's already been won. Christ has defeated him. Colossians, Paul tells us this. We've looked at this before. The war's already been won through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Christ will return physically, bodily to this earth, and when he comes back, he's coming to get what's his. He's coming to claim what's his. This is the other thing that we need to understand. I think the thrust of John here, the thrust of this in this section of the book of Revelation, is not to try to figure out all the symbolism. It takes wisdom. I don't have the wisdom that it takes to figure this out and stand before you and say, I got it. If I ever do stand before you in the book of Revelation and tell you, I got it, run me out of here. Just run me out of here. Shoot me, put me out of my misery because I've lost my mind. This is the thrust. You and I have a choice to make. You and I have a choice to make. Are we going to worship the beast? Or are we going to worship the lamb? Are we going to follow the beast? Or are we going to follow the lamb? I know as a believer, as a Christian, that choice has been made, right? But there is a sense in which we make it every single day. Every morning we get up, there is a sense in which we make that choice every day. Am I going to give my heart and affections and thinking to the things of the beast? Or I'm going to wake up just what we just saying, here I am. 
Make me, mold me, use me to your glory. So I needed to state those things up front, okay? Because those things I am, I am confident of. And I think I could back them up from Scripture, and I think I could back it up from the book of Revelation. In Revelation 13, John helps us make that choice. 12 shows us the why. Satan, angry, war. He's not our friend. And in chapter 13, he helps us make that choice. And in the heart of this, this, this section here, in the heart of the book of Revelation, John shows how, because I think that's what he's doing in 13, he's showing us how Satan operates. Now, Remember I told you, there's one coming, and it's going to intensify, and there's going to be a future, and I don't think the future is going to be, at least as we get to the end before Christ comes, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be quite a ride. But there is a sense in which this is past, present, and future. And future. And I think what John's going to show us here is how is Satan doing this? How did he do it in the past? How is he doing it in the present? How how will he do it in the future? There's In two principal ways, John introduces us to two beasts. Now, we do not have the time to deal with two beasts this morning. We're going to try, Lord willing, to get through the first beast. And so again, when we look at 12, 13, and 14, the theological heart of the book of Revelation, it's the center, it's, I think it's what's sort of holding this thing together. We, we've seen breaks before, we're in another break. Seventh trumpet sounded, we're awaiting the seven bowls. And then once the bowls happen, bang, 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 bang. And then all of a sudden we get to the end, and all of a sudden all of this stuff, it's fallen, Babylon's fallen, the beast, his false prophet, thrown into the lake of fire. And then we get to what John sees of heaven and so forth. And Lord willing, we'll get to that when we get there. Here's the first beast. This guy's ugly. And the thing to understand, let me just say this about the first beast and the second beast. They, they, they have the same goal, they have the same aim, they're on the same team, but they come at us in different ways. The first beast is over, over evil. We just see it. You see this guy coming. The second beast? You don't see him coming. When we get to it, you'll see, man, we could wake up one day and go, my gosh, I've been following that. But this first one, ah, you see him coming. He's outright evil. We've seen it in history. We're seeing it right now if you're paying attention. And in the future, it's going to be concentrated and culminate in, I think, one single individual. Well, notice the first beast, his appearance, this blasphemous appearance. John says, I saw a beast rising out of the sea. So as John looks, now again, remember Satan, Satan's standing, and he's standing on the sand of the sea. There's one other thing I need to mention about this, because as we go through this, if you're thinking in terms, just think in terms of Christ and what John has said about Christ in the book of Revelation, and what we know about Christ and about God. And what you're going to see is almost this, this presentation from Satan of a counter, a counterfeit. 
He's rising up out of the sea, the sea chaos. We've already been introduced to this beast in chapter 11. He comes out of the abyss. I think abyss and sea, the same thing. It's this chaos. He's coming out of this chaos. And notice this blasphemous appearance. We're going to get more information about the beast in chapter 17 in just a second. But notice his appearance. He's got ten horns. He sees this beast with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. I mean, this is, this is some weird beast, isn't it? Now, some have, said, have tried to, and we're not going to take the time to try to trace all this through, but some have said, well, obviously the ten horns, these are kings, these are kingdoms, this is that, and identify it with this and that. The seven heads here, he's got diadems, he's got crowns. What seems to be communicated here, at least in the big picture, is that when this guy comes, he's claiming some authority. He's claiming something. It's, it's, it's a false authority, but he's going to be some type of kingly type individual and claiming authority, and he's got these blasphemous names on its head. And the beast I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like bears, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. It's this blasphemous appearance. In fact, blasphemies on his heads. He comes, and he comes outright. He comes right out of the gate. And what's he doing? He's blaspheming God. He's not hiding it. This is outright evil. This is outright evil. And it pops up every now and then. Right? Look throughout history. It's popped up every now and then. And there have been people that we look at and we go, Oh my gosh, that's evil. Look at what they're doing. They're slaughtering people. They're practicing genocide. They're wiping out populations. They're, they're, they're taking over this. God, I mean, go back through history. We could, just, we could run off a whole list of them. They have come out and they're so proud. You remember Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians? What's interesting is with Nebuchadnezzar, he's described when he says, look what I've built. I've got this Babylonian empire and I'm about to take over. In fact, he did. He wiped out the southern kingdom. He wiped out Judah, ransacked Jerusalem. So full of pride, arrogant. Look at me. In a sense, I'm God. And what God say? Uh-uh, you're a beast. And what did God do to him? He humbled him. Remember the book of Daniel when we went through that? I mean, there have been one after another. They're, there to, they're, they're right in front of us today. There are these beasts right in front of us today. Just take a close look at the Middle East. We got rid of one, Saddam Hussein. We killed another when Osama bin Laden. It's still raging. You remember ISIS? But look, it's not just there. I mean, let's go to China. Let's talk about China. Let's talk about Russia. Let's talk about some other places. Let's talk about some places in Africa. It's still raging. And when the people look at it, they see this person comes to rule. He is evil. Dare I dare mention Hitler? I mean, that's where we always want to run, right? We see this guy coming. Now, the leopard, the bear... It's mouth like a lion's mouth. This is clearly what's behind us is Daniel 7. And when you remember, you remember, we won't take the time. Wednesday night, we went through these passages because I said Wednesday night, look, I'm not going to have the time to go through all of these passages, but this is one I want to mention. 
We read through it Wednesday night. And if you want to mark it, go back, read through it. If you remember when we went through the book of Daniel, Daniel sees these beasts. And these three here that are mentioned, the ten horns represents, I think, the fourth beast that Daniel saw. But you see, the, the, you see where he says, the leopard he comes, he's just, uh, he's, uh, was like a leopard, his feet were like a bear, his mouth was like a lion's mouth. I mean, clearly, what's behind this is Daniel 7, where, where Daniel sees the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and Alexander the Great. And we, could take, we won't take the time to walk through that history again. And then, he, and, then, and then Daniel talks about this fourth beast that wasn't like the three. The fourth, obviously, when you look at it, that's Rome. So I think that's what's behind this, but it's different. Because notice in Daniel, there were, there were four kingdoms. Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, Romans. It, it's almost as if in the symbolic language that's being presented to us here, this beast, he has it all. He's like them all. He's like all of them. He embodies all of this. And those kingdoms were evil. They were they were cruel. And so here he comes, and notice what else it says here, because this is very, very strange language. This language occurs over and over in this chapter. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound. A mortal wound means you're dead, right? But notice the language here. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its wound, its mortal wound, was healed. This mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. They marveled. Oh my gosh, who can defeat him? In fact, that's what they're going to say in just a second. The whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon. This is the aim, the goal. What is the goal of this first beast? It's to get you to worship the dragon. Now understand this, Satan worship is not about dressing up in a red suit, and pitchfork and horns, and running around your neighborhood when it's not Halloween and scaring people to death. It's not about having seances in your living room. At the core of Satanism is to worship yourself. That's what Satanism is all about. It's about getting you to worship yourself. And so what happens here? The end result of this, they're worshiping the dragon. And if they're worshiping the dragon, then they're going to exalt themselves. They're going to exalt themselves and they're going to exalt man. And they're going to say, look how great man is, why we can do anything. You want to get coronavirus? Man, I'll do it. You want to deal with Antifa? Man, I'll do it. You want to deal with the world's problem? Man, I'll do it. Why, we can do anything. I mean, how many times have you heard? Why, we defeated this and we defeated that and we conquered this and we conquered that. We'll beat this thing. Instead of humbly saying, oh my gosh, Lord, please, have mercy on us. Right? So that's, that's where this goes. They worshiped the dragon. They were so full of pride, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against him? There's no need in fighting against him. You know, in some places in the world, even now, but you go back in history again, and you look at some places in the world when these totalitarian regimes rise up, and there's at some point, the people who are trying to resist this, at some point they throw their hands up and they say what? We can't fight this. We can't fight this. And what do they do? 
A lot of times they give in, right? They capitulate, they give in. And, and that's exactly what this beast wants. That's exactly what he's demanding. And he does it not by trickery, that's coming. He does this through overt evil. He does this through outright open persecution and threats of violence. And if you don't bow the knee, I'm going to cut your head off. And what happens? Most of the people are going to bow the knee. We don't want our heads cut off. Now the next guy that comes, he's not like that. He's going to trick you. You're going to be bowing the knee and then not even realize you're bowing the knee. This first guy? Mm -mm. Now I think the language here of having his his head, this mortal wound, I I, I know if, if we kick all of this to the future then we're looking at some kingdom, and if, if in just a second we're going to look at Revelation 17 because that figures into this, that, that, that if all this is kicked to the future, in other words, we don't see it in the past, we don't see it in the present now, then, then we're thinking of some future kingdom, and, and usually the language is something about a revived Roman Empire. That may be part of it. Definitely an Antichrist that's coming. But I think we'll miss something if it's all kicked to the future. And I think the language of this mortal wound, but it was healed, and we're going to see it again because it occurs again and again, and when we see in Revelation 17 in just a second, he was, he is, but he's not, he's he's still coming. I think it's language, symbolic language, of trying to get us to understand this beast, or a beast-like creature, who ultimately, all of this culminates in the beast, has been around and has been with us forever. And it pops its head up and it rules and reigns and it's tyrannical and people say we can't fight it and then bam, it's dealt a death blow. And then guess what? Another one comes. And that one's dealt a death blow. And then another one comes. Where are the Romans today? Where are the Greeks today? These kingdoms that Daniel seeing, where are the Babylonians? In fact, Jeremiah is explicit about what's going to happen to the Babylonians. Yeah, I'm going to use you to destroy my people and wipe out Judah, but guess what's going to happen to you? Where are the Persians today? Again, the, the, the usual whipping boy, where is Hitler? Now, I was not alive in the late 1930s. I was not alive in the 1940s when he was raging. But I have read a lot about it, and I have read some, especially in Germany. There were a lot of people in Germany who were saying this very thing, we can't fight him. And there were a lot of people in Germany who turned the other way, turned their head the other way, while he carried out systematic genocide. Until the world stood up and said what? No more. And he was dealt a death blow. But that didn't end it, did it? We've dealt with more since. And guess what? We're going to deal with more in the future. And all of this eventually is going to culminate in the Antichrist. And when he shows up, look out. Look out. Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? Notice this in verse 5. We get to his speech, his acts, and the beast was given a mouth, 
uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Again, I think the 42 months here is this time of of intense persecution and cut short, and we've dealt with that before. These, These times pop up time and time again. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. See again, the end result of this, they're going to worship it. That's the goal, that's the aim. They're going to worship the beast, and ultimately worshiping the beast is worshiping Satan. But not everybody. Not everybody, because notice this. All who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain, if anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. This is what we're supposed to hear. This is what we're supposed to See, this is where I think this next section here, verse 10, is the main thrust of what John's trying to communicate. Yeah, this is evil. Yeah, this is horrible. Yeah, this, this is probably played out in history and it's happening right now and it's going to happen in the future. Yeah, it's, it, it's, this is bad stuff. But the key to your Christian life is not figuring out who this beast is. The key to your Christian life is what he says in verse 10. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. And if anyone is to be slain with the sword, the sword with the sword he must be slain. Now, you can either take this active or passive. Active, it would be God pouring out retribution. If you, if you are going to take people captive, you're going to be taken captive. If you're going to take up the sword and kill people, you're going to get killed with the sword. I don't think that's the way it should be taken. I think what's behind this is Jeremiah 15. In Jeremiah 15 verse 2, in that prophecy of Jeremiah talking about the Babylonians are coming, and guess what? If they're going to take you captive, you're going captive. If they're going to do this and mistreat you, you're going to be mistreated. In other words, what's behind this is passively... God is allowing this to happen. And if he has willed, and if it is his plan and design that you be taken captive, then you go to captivity. And if it is his will and his design and his plan that you be slain for your faith, then be slain for your faith. Is this not the thrust of Revelation from the very beginning when we're looking at the churches and he's talking to some of those churches and what he says to those churches, you're about to be persecuted, you're about to be killed, but yet be faithful, endure, endure, endure. Christ has already won the victory. Be faithful in that. If God is going to thrust you into this, God's going to bring you through it. He has not destined us to wrath. It seems to be the thrust of where John's been building. You get to the seals. Remember that fifth seal? You see the the souls that were slain under the altar and they're crying, how long? And what does God say? Be patient. More of you have to die. What? Be patient. More of you have to die. Be patient for what? Because in me, you're more than conquerors. And I think that's the thrust of what he's trying to say here. This evil's coming. Now, 
Let me just say this. Go and read Revelation 17. I don't want to take the time now to go through Revelation 17. Maybe we'll do it next week as we open up the second beast. But go read Revelation 17. It's the same beast here. And the language is there of was and is. And talking about five king, or seven kings and five are, are, are dead and there's one that is and there's another one coming. And then in that 17 there's this language of, yeah, there's seven kings, but there's an eighth one that's coming. And this eighth one's going to be like those guys. Again, I think all of the symbolic language is saying to us, it's been here. It will be here. It is here now. It's coming in the future. It's the only thing that makes sense to me. Paul talks about the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians, right? That which, is, that which is holding things back, he's going to be removed, and then the man of lawlessness is going to be revealed. The Antichrist. Daniel 7, that little horn. Antiochus in history representing that Antichrist that's to come. First John. My little children, you've heard it's the last hour. And you've heard the Antichrist is coming. He seems to indicate he's coming. But yet he turns around and he says, I'm going to tell you this, there are already many Antichrists. He's already here. There have been beast after beast after beast that will one day culminate and intensify in that beast. And their whole aim and purpose is Revelation 12. Make war with us. And if God wills that in certain situations He conquer them and they go into captivity and they are slain by the sword, then don't you fight it. Don't lose confidence and faith in God. Now, He has blessed us in this country that up to this point, we have not been led captivity, have we? We have not been slain with the sword. Just open your eyes and look at the signs. It is slipping. The beast is right there before our very eyes. Go ask John MacArthur about the beast. Go ask John MacArthur about the beast and that he's dealing with in a governor of California. Who's saying to a church, you can't worship, and if you gather, I'm going to find you. You understand just how close that is to where not only are we going to find you, we're going to arrest you, not only are we going to arrest you, we're going to turn the army loose on you. Do you understand how close that is? Just look at history. The beast is right there in front of us. Do I dare mention Black Lives Matter? Do I dare mention Antifa? Do I dare mention Black Lives Matter that is based on an ungodly, that is based on a worldview that is blasphemous, unholy, atheistic, and has been successful in redefining justice to mean outcome? And if we don't get the outcome we want in the courts, we'll burn this place down. He's right there. He's right there. Let's read their literature. Go to their website. Read it. We did it on a Wednesday night. 
Read what they're calling for. Oh, man. But you know, we see that, right? We can see that one coming. The dangerous thing here, there's another one that's about to come. And this one's going to slip in. And he's going to Christianize all that language. And he's going to have Christians saying, well, we can support this stuff. And they're going to put it on their Facebook pages. And they're going to put it on their places of business. Because they're going to feel like we can't buy or sell unless we... You see it? You see it? I won't get as many likes in my social media unless I take that mark. It's right in front of us. And what's John saying? John's saying this. If this is the way it's going to be and God's going to bring down the United States of America and take us into captivity and slay us with the sword, you believers, you Christians, pray, pray that God will remember mercy in His wrath. But don't you panic. Don't you cave in. Don't you worship the beast. Don't think that you're going to be spared. You remember what Mordecai told Esther? Esther, your queen, do you think at all that because of the evil plot that Haman has made about destroying the Jews in the kingdom, in this Persian kingdom, under Artaxerxes and under this, or Ahasuerus, under this king, do you think, Esther, that your position is going to spare you? Don't you remember you are a Jewish woman, Esther? Don't we remember we are blood bought by the blood of Christ? Do we think, do we think that turning our back on Him and bowing the knee to this mess, do we think that somehow that's going to spare us? What are you going to do? Stop going to church? What are you going to do? Stop reading your Bible? Are you going to stop ever speaking the name of Christ? Are you going to take off anything Christian in social media? Are you going to totally, totally ignore anything having to do with Christ? Well, I have some strong words for you, and they're not my words. They're the words of our Lord. And you remember what he said. If you deny me. You remember what he said? This is why we have a choice. And this is why this choice is confronting us every single day. Am I going to bow to the beast or am I going to follow the lamb? What am I going to do here? I pray that we're like Joshua. Remember when he drew the line in the sand? Remember what he said? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. But I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you this. As long as I'm your pastor, as for me and this church, we've drawn a line. And we're going to stand in the gospel. And we're going to pray that we're not deceived. We're going to pray that this next beast that comes, that he doesn't trip us up. He doesn't trip us up. He's right there. See, that's why I think when John says in verse 10, here is a call 
for the endurance and faith of the saints. That's what this is. This is a call to us. Endure, be faithful. He who endures to the end will be what? Saved. Endure, be faithful. There's only one way you can endure and be faithful. And that's that you first have come to Christ. You've turned from your sin and put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you're not a believer, if you're not born again, and you're not, God has not done that work in your heart, and, 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 and you've never truly trusted Him, you've bought into this cultural thing. Guess what's disappearing fast, right before our very eyes? It's this nominal cultural Christianity. It's disappearing. Because it's starting to cost. And when it costs, guess what? A lot of church is empty. When it's no longer advantageous to business, making your business deals and doing this and that and mixing and making friends and influence, influencing people and those kinds of social things and that nominal stuff. Oh yeah, I follow Christ, but yet you know we go on and we do in our hearts so far from Him and our minds. Just you, you know the picture, right? Guess what? That's falling apart. And that's a good thing to me because we're going to know where we stand. And that's a good thing to me. And if you're going to be able to stand up and be counted, then you better come to Christ. You better turn from your sin and put your faith and trust in Him because you don't have a leg to stand on. You don't have a heart to stand. You don't have a mind to stand. You don't have a will to stand unless you are in Christ. And when you're in Him, you get up every day and you heed the call to endure and be faithful. You hear it? You hear it? You see it? He, he, not, I'm not talking about the beast now. He, our Lord Jesus, is coming. He's coming. I'm not talking about tomorrow. Maybe another thousand years, I don't know. But you know that He's coming causes us to endure. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. We want to understand this. We do. We want to try to deal with this. And I just pray that You help us in a way that honors You and honors Your Word and is fruitful in our lives. It's everywhere. We're surrounded by it. This evil. The greater is He that is in us than He that is in this world. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.